Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Uh, and those who are going to Little Worship, y'all can be dismissed at this time. Join uh, Mr. Josh and Miss Christina. If you're staying in here with us, I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Uh, just a very, very small passage, 15 through 17. Luke 18, 15 through 17. You, you know, Jesus, the Jesus way is often, man, so often different from our natural way, right? Uh, so every time we come to God's Word, there's really this chance that, or likelihood, that the, we're going to be challenged by the passages that we read, and we're going to be called back to that, that better and true way, right? Okay, but then you, you know this, as you read through the Bible, there are passages that challenge us, and then there are passages that are downright game changers, right? Passages that take the way that we view the world and just flip it upside down and change everything, well, this morning, uh, that's what Jesus has for us. And look, fair warning, I, I, I know that anytime the subject of children, like you want to offend somebody or make somebody mad at you, you start talking about their children. I, I know that anytime we talk about kids, it, it, we're prone to get emotional. Uh, things are prone to be polarized. Uh, but before we read, I think it's important to note that Jesus also was very emotional when it came to children. Actually, something maybe y'all want to do is as you read through the Gospels, try to pay close or particular attention to, to the, all the miracles when Jesus is interacting with children. You're going to see that there's actually quite a few of them. And I want you to notice Jesus' tender interaction with those kids, how he treats children. Um, you know, of all the reasons Jesus had to be ticked, and he had a whole lot of them, right? It was the, the abuses, the injustices, uh, the self-righteousness that we always see coming out of the Pharisees. But did you know that in all the Bible, there's only one occasion in which Jesus' righteous anger uh, towards something like that is elevated to the point in which the gospel writer said, and Jesus was indignant. Uh, well, Mark tells us that that occasion happened on this occasion that we're about to read about uh, in Luke's accounting of it this morning. And so with that, let's go to God's Word. Luke 18, 15 through 17. Now they were bringing infants to Jesus that Jesus might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him saying, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. You know, that is the holy, infallible, inspired word of God. Every word of it is true. And it's given to us because we have a Father who loves us. Um, look, this sermon this morning is heavily influenced by Sinclair Ferguson and Ray Cortese. Uh, it's been said that Sinclair Ferguson, if you know much about him, I mean, he's a, he's a Scotsman, right? A Scotsman, uh, very, uh, very gifted preacher, uh, but also kind of like, you know, you make a plan for what the sermon's going to be, and you kind of stick to the plan. What's well, been said that the only time Sinclair Ferguson ever called an audible, like he's like, you know, sitting at the pew, uh, like song right before the sermon and something just the spirit struck him and he, he completely threw out the sermon that he planned all week and he preached on a passage um, 
And this is that passage. Um, so when Jude was about six weeks old, uh, Jude, and some of y'all remember this, Jude developed a fever. Apparently, we were told that uh, fevers uh, at that young of an age are pretty, uh, pretty rare uh, for babies, and so it could signify that there was some form of infection uh, that, if not addressed pretty quickly, could wreak havoc uh, inside his little uh, six-week-old body. And so at, at 10 o'clock at night, we took him to the hospital, and they tried and tried and tried to draw blood for blood tests, see what's going on. They couldn't, they couldn't find any veins, uh, all the while the fever continued. Well, after a couple hours of poking um, our little six-year-old uh, baby, uh, it, became, it became clear that some specialized medical equipment was needed for them to, I guess, to, to see where those deep, small veins were. And you know how in a crisis, when you're in a crisis, it can focus you, right? Like laser focus you <laughs> in a crisis. Um, if, look, if you've ever tried to call Annie uh, at about any time after 8 p.m., you know that she, she basically turns into a pumpkin around 8.30, okay? But in this crisis, she was wide awake. I'm talking 2 a.m., wide awake. And, and so, yeah, at 2 in the morning, we left heading to Blair Batson because come hell or high water, she was going to get her baby boy to the one place that could give, her, give him the help that he needed, right? Crisis focus us, Right? All the, all the extra is just kind of gone, and, and we are focused on the top priority. Okay, we have a crisis today in our country. Uh, in Westminster, we have a crisis in the church. Uh, kids in particular aren't faring too well. Uh, and look, in, in our particular church, things are trending in a, in a better direction, but for years... The vast majority of kids raised in this church left the church when they left home. Um, and, and so, may God cause this crisis to, to focus us to this top priority. What is the top priority for Christian parents? Top priority for Christian grandparents? It is to get your kids to the one person who can give them what they most deeply need, right? It's rescue and forgiveness, salvation. Give them Jesus. And so as we're, we're kind of focused by this crisis this morning, uh, at Jesus gives us two really game-changing realities, which will be how we walk through this passage. First, he reminds us of the worth of children, that children have worth, immense worth. And then two, he reminds us of the way, the way of children. So first, uh, the worth. You know, it's so easy uh, to take this passage for granted today, but y'all, the, the biblical teaching here on children was completely unlike anything the ancient world knew. Uh, totally revolutionary because in the Roman and pagan culture, kids had, I mean, no worth, zero value. Uh, they were seen as really just kind of in the way. And so child sacrifice and uh, infanticide were extremely common in the ancient world. But back then, to get rid of an unwanted child, they didn't do that before the birth. I know you did it after the birth, uh, either by sacrificing them to... Uh, your, quote, pagan God, so that your pagan God might improve your life, or you just left them outside. I mean, it's so, it's, it's so sad, right? It was very, very common for babies that were unwanted to, to literally be thrown in the trash, just thrown out on the trash heap, uh, to be taken to the woods at night and just left out in the woods. Um, it was very common to take uh, unwanted babies down to the ocean at low tide, and you just kind of leave them out there. And when the tide comes in, the baby's washed away. 
And so from history, we have a papyrus letter written by a man named Hilarion, um, who was, he's a soldier, an officer in the army, a soldier off at war, and he's writing to his expectant wife. And listen to what this letter written on June 17th, 1 BC, I said. He's telling his wife, he said, if the child is male, let it live. But if it is female, cast it out. Or, or literally just, just throw it away. And that was not only the law of the land until the 300s AD when it was outlawed, but this was like common practice. Everybody did this. And it, it was into this world where children had, and I'm talking zero value, that Jesus came along and he said, let the little children come. Um, let them come to me, or as the King James puts it, suffer the little children to come to me, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. I mean, wow, right? In a world where children were seen as really kind of in your way, they're, they're in the way of your dreams, they're, they're in the way of your pleasure. Even in the Old Testament, we've seen that God said something else. He said, no, 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 children, children are a blessing. As Solomon said in Psalm 127, children, it's not your business nor your bank accounts, but children are a heritage from the Lord. And so we're reminded in Scripture that, that parents, our most important legacy um, is is our children, what we leave to this earth after we leave it. So throughout the Bible, children were seen as highly, highly treasured, highly, highly um, of high worth. And, and though today, look, we, I know we hear about child sacrifice, ancient world, and we hear about infanticide, and we think, how barbaric. But alas, some things never change, Right? Uh, because we live in a land today, and we live in the midst of a people today, really until just very, very recently, uh, 300 uh, young lives were taken every single day. Um, since Roe v. Wade, over 60 million little lives have been taken. And, you know, we talk about the utter depravity of the Holocaust and all the things that Hitler did. But Roe v. Wade produced 10 times more death than Hitler ever dreamed of, Right? I mean, this is heavy, right? It's, it's heavy stuff. Um, Ray Cortez reminded me that, uh, and y'all probably saw this if you, if you are a Golden Globe watcher, um, which I probably doubt that you are. Um, several years ago, well, just a few years ago, actually, at the Golden Globes, one of the, the award winners took, you know how they take their time during their speech to kind of spread awareness about something, right? Um, so she used her time as uh, to her speech opportunity to take a moment to speak to the importance of um, women's choice. And she said, in some variation of this, she said, I am a shining example of the goodness of choice because I would not be here today holding this trophy in my hands if I had not exercised my right to do so. And, and though that moment, it was really heralded as this courageous and emboldened speech for women, and many took it that way, no doubt, and yet for others watching that, it was something, I mean, straight out of a biblical pagan scene, right? It's, I mean, she, she's literally standing there holding a golden idol, uh, a statue uh, that she attained by giving up her child. And so people ask, well, why are Christians so pro-life? Why are we always talking about this? Well, it turns out that that's always been one of the biggest differences between Jesus' followers and the rest of the world, Right? Uh, because here's the rest of the story. Christians aren't just pro-life in utero, though that kind of gets a lot of the press. Christians have also always been pro-life from the cradle to the grave. Uh, we care, <clears throat> care about life. 
um, secular historians, they're, they're still to this day puzzled as to how this backwater preacher, Jesus, with his handful of believers, could like go from that to the, the world movement that it is today. And this is a quote I pull out from time to time. A renowned uh, historian Karen Armstrong said, Against all odds, by the third century, Christianity had become a force to be reckoned with. And then she said this, we still do not really understand how this came about. Because if you look back in history, like, there, there is no explaining how, how the church took off. Well, um, of course, if you're a believer, you would say, aside from the fact that Jesus is God, that might have something to do with it, and the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Um, other than that, you don't have to dive too deep into church history to see that there are some things that might have done it, that grace really is contagious. So Christians were so transformed by Jesus' love for them that they not only loved their own people, but they loved other people's own people. You know, we've talked about this a lot before, that when the plagues were coming through in the cities, many people were fleeing the cities. Christians oftentimes stayed in the cities and they cared for the sick. Um, though, though heavily persecuted, Christians were oftentimes like the, the rulers didn't know what to do with them because on one hand, they were kind of like a, a persecuted religion. On the other hand, they were the best citizens they had. And do you know what else the early church did? And this is well documented. That when people threw babies away, um, Christians went out and gathered them up so interesting. The early church, they didn't just like show up to church on Sunday and then la-da-da-da-da the rest of your life. Like, it actually affected their life. It affected their home. Uh, Christian women and men and teenagers would go out to the trash heap, uh, go out to the city trash dump, and they would every single night see if there were kids there left. I mean, can you imagine that being part of your family's rhythm, your weekly rhythm? And they would walk out to the forest and they would pick up children that were left and they would raise them as their own. And the early church said, if you don't want your babies, give them to us. We'll take them. Jesus loves the little children, so do we. And you know what? That act of grace became contagious and it changed the world. So children, according to Jesus, have immense worth, immense worth, which then brings us to our second point, the, the way of children. And as we start talking about the way, it's important that at first we're not getting in the way, right, of children. Um, Want to know what really ticks Jesus off? I mean, really ticks him off. It's hindering children from coming to him. Uh, you know, in Matthew 18, what Misha read this morning, uh, Jesus, he even went as far as to say that if someone harms one of my little ones, he says, if you get in the way, you harm one of my little ones, it would be better if a millstone were tied around their neck and they were thrown into the ocean. Jesus says, like, like, better they drown than for what I would do if I get to them. So parents, parents were bringing in our passage, parents were bringing their children to Jesus, and yet the disciples were hindering them. They were putting up roadblocks. And so if our top priority as, parent, as Christian parents is to get our kids to Jesus, uh, then it would seem important for us not to hinder that, right? And for us as a church not to hinder that. Which begs the question, how might we be doing so? Of course, look, we could spend here, well, like, the answers to that are as, as many as there are people here, right? As to how we might hinder them. But, uh, just a few things to get us thinking. Uh, according to many, many testimonies, one of the top hindrances to children 
is, is parents who profess faith in Jesus, but who don't appear to be possessed by that faith, right? That they claim to be a fan of Jesus, but there does not appear to be much fruit of following Jesus in their lives. And I know we often say as parents, hey, hey kids, do as I say, not as I do, right? That's how we, we like to say that classic parents saying, the only problem with that is, as James Baldwin said, children have never been very good at listening to their elders, right? Um, but they have never failed to imitate them. Isn't that something? And so I'm not sure if you need a reason to stay up at night, uh, but statistics show that more than likely your children will grow up to be just like you. And I know some of you who are like in your 20s and 30s, you're like, ain't happening. I ain't ever going to be like my parents. And so I'm not in now in my 40s, and it's like all of a sudden I woke up on my 42nd birthday, and I'm like, I am my dad. You know, um, you, you will. You will. So the question, parents, is have you been saved? Have, have you been transformed by the grace of Jesus? Or do you pridefully think that you have it all together? Or, or have you been humbled by the fact that you need Jesus and, and his grace is the only way that you can carry on? So in, in my, my time here, I've had various members, and not necessarily members from here, so don't think about anybody, um, but these are members that have come from all over the place, ha- have shared with me um, that um, in all of it, or growing up, they never once heard their parents repent of anything. Never once heard dad repent. Never once saw mom repent. So are we modeling repentance, right? Because none of us are perfect parents, right? Uh, are we walking the Jesus way? A parents has the gospel produced passion for worship in our own hearts. You know, kids aren't fooled. They, they know what we really love, always do. And, and what's interesting is often we don't even have to try. And our kids will take on our loves, Right? We see this all the time. Look, I, I haven't even tried to, to really make Jude or Sophie Auburn an Auburn fan. Like, I, I'm a poor uh, proselyte for, for the team of Auburn, uh, proselytizer, right? Um, I haven't even tried. And yet somehow, both Sophie and Judah know that an o, to be an Owens is to pull for Auburn. And like, none of their friends pull for Auburn. They, they have zero social credit for pulling for Auburn in Greenwood. And they do, because that's what Owens do, right? Okay, do our kids see passion about worship without even trying? You know, do they see within our home gospel-informed hospitality, that there's something different about this house than like my friend's house? Do they, do they know that we, as for our house, that we follow Jesus, we seek to serve the Lord? You know, our home looks a little different. It's as Joseph read this morning in Deuteronomy 6, you know, that we teach our kids not just to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but we also, as a part of that, it's not just a Sunday thing, but we teach our kids what does it look like to be a Jesus follower in all of life, right? The arts and music and food and sports. Like, what does it look like to be a Jesus follower in that? Because, y'all, man, our kids are always watching. You know, we thought we got rid of Santa Claus when we were younger, but, like, they are like Santa Claus to adults, right? They are always watching us. Um, so are we hindering our kids or are we bringing them to Jesus? And, and, unless we feel like <laughs> there's no hope, uh, we have failed miserably at this. Um, Jesus once again reminds us of the, the gracious way of the child, 
He says it's not about being the perfect parent. It never was. Never was about that. But it is about coming back to the simple gospel. Faith like a child. So what's that? Well, uh, children, we know children are helpless, right? Children have needs. A few years ago, Ligonier Ministries released the findings of their state of theology survey. And this is a survey that goes out to evangelicals, which means uh, these are people who... For the most part, they, they claim that Jesus is the only way and that God's word is authoritative. So, um, This is a, a survey that goes out across America to evangelicals, and they found that 52%, so the majority of evangelical Christians, believe that everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. And so many people approach God, and even many Christians in churches approach God, saying some variation of this, God, I, I need your help. Now, now, I'm not all that bad. I'm not as bad as that tax collector. Um, in fact, I'm better than a whole lot of people, but I'm not quite perfect. And so I need your help to kind of bump me over the edge of greatness. Okay. That is not Christianity. Um, that is not the testimony of a follower of Jesus at all. It's people who say, now I'm weak, but I'm not like a little child weak. I've got some good things going. No, someone who is in Christ is someone who realizes that they have no goodness of their own, right? Uh, that I have never done anything good that merits God's favor in, in my life. I am, I in myself and you in yourself, we, we're helpless like without God, without hope in this world. And we, we don't just need Jesus to give us a better resume. No, we need Jesus because he is the only one who can give us peace with God. And so if you don't see yourself as the biggest sinner you know, then you have not begun to scratch the surface of what it is to be a Christian. Okay, And you have not seen Jesus as beautiful. And so children, also you know children aren't, well some children are, um, typically children aren't that good at hiding their sin. Um, they haven't become expert hiders like their parents have yet, right? And, and so children are often quicker than adults to repent as a result of that. And what's more is children are also very good at receiving forgiveness. Uh, you, you know, they're very good at receiving gifts that they do not deserve. You know, like there's no shame in a kid. They know they don't deserve that pony, but they're taking that pony, right? I mean, they are ripping the wrapping paper off. No shame, only excitement. And so to be a child is to say, it's the hardest thing for adults to say, nothing, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. It is to receive the gracious gift of Jesus' work for you give me Christ or I die. And children then carry the family name, right? Children don't earn their name, right? They're, they're either born with their name or they're adopted into and bestowed upon, you know, that name um, or have that name bestowed upon them. And in the same way, if we are in Jesus, we don't, we didn't earn that. And no, we, the family name was bestowed upon us, beloved, okay? Stop taking ourselves so serious, so the parents, they're bringing their children to Jesus so that Jesus might lay hands on them and bless them. This is a practice that went way back to the patriarchs. Uh, and so the question is, Westminster, have you personally known Jesus' blessing? Have you received the blessing of being his? And, and so the call this morning isn't like, bring your kids to Jesus. Though that is very important. The call is, can you first bring yourself 
Can you respond to the gospel and come? All you who are weary and heavy laden and receive rest in him? As we close, I heard a story about a a pastor who had a 15-year-old daughter. She, I mean, she was a, a prodigal, prodigal daughter. She, she was running, running around out all hours of the night. He, whatever they did, they couldn't rein her in. Uh, some nights she didn't even come home at all. And so he tried everything he could to try to get her back into the family, get her settled. Um, but, but she didn't. She was lying to her parents. She was deceiving her family. And, and then she was blaming them for the way that she was. You made me this way. She, and, and she was so angry and so, I know some of you pa- your parents can relate. The pastor said, he said, I remember sta- standing at the window in my living room, staring out into the darkness, waiting for her to come home. I felt such rage. I was furious with my daughter for the way she was manipulating us and twisting the knife to hurt us. Yet I must tell you that when my daughter came home that night, or, or rather the next morning, I wanted nothing in the world so much than to take her in my arms, to tell her I love her, and that I want the best for her. He said, despite all of this, all the prodigalness, he said, I was a lovesick father. Well, Westminster, that is your God. And I know some of you may say, that's a stretch, Richard, come on. But that is the parable of the prodigal son, is it not? That the father saw, the father's watching He saw his son a far way off and he ran down the road making a fool of himself because his baby had come home, right? And so friends, you, uh, we, will never care about children with a great love until we have experienced it, right? Until we have first experienced being loved by God as his little children. Because at the end of the day, in Christ. That is all we are, okay? Let's pray. Father, this morning, may you remind us that Jesus loves me, this I know, uh, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. We, we are weak, and we are needy, uh, but he is strong. So, Father, may we experience anew the depths of your loving kindness to us, and may your grace change us from the inside out. And all God's people said, Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.